my mom was sadia you are a coward the pain you went through every other woman goes through during delivery so you are a coward simply you are afraid of the pain just that we have culturalized our religion and at the same point we have taken our cultural aspects to be religious practice come to this campaign knowing that you are not competing with anybody you want to save a girl even if it's one girl that's a big step for us this is the end of gym podcast with sadia hussein Welcome to the End FGM podcast. My name is Jeremiah Kipainoi. I spend time with change makers who are making an impact in Kenya and beyond. Each week we listen to incredible stories of ordinary people just like you making a difference. They share their successes, failures, and what they are learning along the way. Thank you for being with me today. Let's get started. I am seated here with Sadia Hussein from Tana River in coastal region and she is a lady who I have been seeing online and mainstream media uh, making strides speaking against uh, female genital mutilation and she is here today specifically to speak to me about her life uh, experiences challenges and uh, lessons she's learned and probably just give us some pieces of advice as uh, as uh, as a campaigner in this fight against female genital mutilation so welcome to the NFGM podcast today sadia uh, it's an honor having you here uh, bismillahir rahmanir rahim my name is sadia hussein from tana river county of coastal kenya i'm the coordinator daya women group uh, basically i'm a named fgm activist since 2008 and my journey began because of my personal experience i went through the cut when i was as young as 10 years i can still recall what i went through actually i was cut by my grandmother my mom took me to the bush with other several women from from neighborhood those women some of them were putting a piece of cloth in my mouth others holding my hands others legs and my grandmother who actually happens to be the cutter was performing the cut so at some point i would want to scream loudly but again nobody hears because there is a piece of cloth in my mouth so i would just be murmuring and nobody would know what's going on during the cut it's not that something they just cut and leave it's something they cut it's like they're cutting pieces of meat they cut this side the other side so um after the cut i was asking myself a lot of questions Why did my mother choose this for me? And uh, I was asking also myself. I was just so much excited to go through this. But again when I discovered the pain, the shock, all those was was really really traumatizing for me. So it was horrible. Now after the uh, two hours after the cut I started shivering. I could feel a lot of pain. I could feel fever. my body was all shivering and i couldn't understand what i was going through and when my mom came to look at me to look after me she was telling me this is just normal uh, this is what everyone else went through your grandmother my and i'm your mother i've went through this so this is just a norm it will pass by and after one month 
you will be okay. And I was like, but what is this? Is this what other girls were telling me uh, to go through? Why were other girls feeling proud of this thing? A lot of pain, this suffering. Why would a girl be proud of such a painful process? Later on, when I healed, I said, it's okay. I went back to school. Life was normal. Again, I got married. And uh, I would hear from friends that marriage is simply honey. There is a honeymoon, all this. I, I thought I would enjoy. But in the first week of my marriage, it was again horrible. I was just asking myself, what is this? What is What kind of life is this? Now in 2007, November, when I was giving birth to my firstborn, I was in labor pain for like two days. The third day now when I was delivering, I delivered at, at around 11 a.m. I could hear my mother crying from a distance. The voice was, it was like it was coming from a distance, but she was near me because I almost gave up on life. I was just saying, okay, it's my day maybe, I'm just passing. But I could hear my mom saying, God save my daughter. Even if she delivers a plastic or whatever, I don't care. I just care about the life of my ma I, my daughter. Now, after I delivered <laughs> my daughter, fortunately, it was a, a baby girl. I fainted. And when I came around, was around um, 5 p.m. in the evening. And I saw my daughter lying next to me. And that's when I asked myself, is this what is awaiting my daughter? And I said, no, this should not happen to her. My mother couldn't understand what I'm going through. She thought it's okay for me to go through this painful process. But for me, no, that was a turning point for me. And I could just take my daughter, uh, look at her and shed tears every day, like every day. After two months, that's when I healed properly. 2008, I now started campaigning against FGM and everyone else would say Sadia is mad. I was almost going crazy, like knocking every door and telling women, this is crazy, we should abandon this culture. I mean, I don't feel FGM is right. Because when I contacted my fellow age mates, who, whom we were schoolmates, they would tell me they didn't go through such painful delivery. Because they are our neighboring Pokomos, they don't cut girls. So, um... When I learned that they didn't go through the same painful process, then I said, no, maybe we are different. That's why we should end FGM. Now I started campaigning against FGM. That's how I progressed. That's my now, that's my journey. And that's why I said FGM must end. And then you started going door to door. How was it like for you? Going to knock doors on people who have gone through the cut. Is not easy because they would say, um, this is just a social norm. This is our culture. This is our identity. And for those who are not uh, cut, those who didn't go through the cut, for them, life was normal. And they were wondering why we were practicing FGM. They couldn't even understand the reason as to why we had to go through that. But again, there is something that my community believes in, you know, I, I, all those girls who are not cut are always stigmatized. Live alone my community, even from the neighboring community. When we go to school, they used to call them names like Bara, meaning the unclean, 
they call them sort of names. So um, for me, I, I felt, no, we are on the wrong side. So that's why I said, it happened to me, not to my daughter. You said that other communities also uh, were calling them names. As, is it like um, people from your community were calling other people names or people from other communities were giving people from your community names? Girls or women from my community, in fact, the women, you know, the pressure that makes girls choose to go through FGM actually comes from the women. They know these certain girls didn't go through because this is a society. This is now a community. We know each other. We are neighbors. We know who, whose daughter has gone through FGM, who hasn't. Who hasn't. So um, from that perspective now, when they come across during maybe fetching water, fetching firewood, they would call those girls names like you are unclean you don't you are not fit to be named a girl you are you are still not complete so you see there is that something you feel like you are missing you feel that there is something wrong with you you can't even play with the other girls so imagine leave alone our the girls from our community even those girls from the other community were called names and that's where I started fighting. And I say, no, this the, the other community is on the right side. We are on the wrong side. Why are you calling them unclean in the first place? Because Yet the community doesn't see themselves as unclean. The other community are also Muslims. They are Muslims. They pray. So um, in, in our religion, cleanliness means washing yourself in a better way, not cutting. So for me, I would, I would now challenge them and tell them, no, this is wrong. You know, I fight a lot of stigma around, you know, there is that societal words we, we use uh, against other, other tribes, um, uncut girls. We have so many names, certain names that we call them. Like, for example, um, people who are non-Somalis, we call them Adome something like that. So we have that name for the uncut girls also, termed as unclean, for instance. So um, basically, what I started fighting was now that stigmatization of the uncut girls. That was where I started. And I told them, no, we are wrong. What we are doing is very wrong. Why? Because a girl is clean when she washes herself, not because of the cut. So for me, um, people would see me I'm mad. People would see that I'm, I'm now overturning what was a major cultural norm for the community. I was betraying the community. Actually, that's, that's how they saw me. They, they felt like I'm a betrayer. I'm someone who is now opting for the other, other communities. So that was a real challenge, but again, that was my strength. I didn't care about what they talk about me. I always cared about what I want to do. My focus was, even if I rescue just my daughter, that's enough. And I knew one day my daughter will be role model. But again, as I, I continued, some felt the pressure that Sadia is now turning us. So they went ahead and uh, 
told the then DC, uh, there is a girl who is disturbing our peace. And he asked them, what is she doing? She is knocking doors to women, telling them they should drop FGM. Um, it, he asked them to call me. Then he sent for me. I went to his office. When I met him, he asked me, young girl, um, why, what, what are you doing? And I told him, no, based on the experience I had with my first daughter, I don't want any other girl to go through FGM. And he was telling me, good job. I, I, I was shocked. I was surprised because I was waiting for someone to jail me. But when I, I, he told me, congratulations, good job. In fact, you are the best person I've ever met. And I was like, wow, amazing. So that's the first support I got. Now I came back. I came to my dad, actually. Between my mom and my dad, it was my, my dad, actually, who supported me first. My mom was like, she's embarrassing me. My mom was, Saadia, you are a coward. Oh, the pain you went through, every other woman goes through during delivery. So you are a coward. Simply, you are afraid of the pain. Just that. Because how can you go and tell people that FGM is the cause of all this pain? And I was like, ah. Oh. For now, I have my dad, I have the DC. That was the, the, the first success I was talking about. Just to clarify to the people listening to this podcast, uh, the DC is the district commissioner, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, by then, they were called district commissioners. Now, currently, they are called the county commissioners. So, uh, for, for clarification purposes. Okay. Now, uh, what happened is that when I, I got now support, he was listening to me and he would call me to any baraza he was holding. The DC? Yes, the district commissioner by then. He's, he's called Wanyama Mosiambo. Now he's a big person. He's the deputy public service commission. In the country? Yes. He's a big person. Actually, I would want you to meet him and maybe ask him why he supported me. That would be amazing. Yes. Inshallah. So, um... What happened is that I would go to Barazas and people would call me Saadia K. Saadia K means Saadia Kinter. Kinter means clitoris. Because everywhere I go, I start talking about, oh, stop cutting this Kinter evil. And people would be, ah, we are tired. The same song, the same issue every day. What's wrong with this woman? But little by little, I started gaining support from other survivors, people who felt, yes, we also feel the heat. We went through uh, certain painful processes. We had a girl who went through the cut. After the cut, now when, during the healing process now, she was completely stitched together. She had to go for reopening. The cutter already left to her home. You know, she, she was someone who, who was been brought from another, another village. They had to go and look for the cut to reopen her. You know, that's another painful process. And she said, uh, Saadi is right. Because for me, I, I went through this. Another one came. She had to deliver through cesarean section. 
after she was cut with scissors, a pair of scissors. The doctor wanted to help her, but the passage was too small for, for the child to pass. Now she was on emergency operation. And she told me, Saadia, I'm joining you. You know, little by little, I gained support. Now, after I, I gained support, now I decided to register. In 2013, we registered Daya Women Group. Alhamdulillah, now we have an FGM free village. That's the water community. Wow, that's your village. My village is FGM free. In a, it's called Gafuro. Uh, the water free village is called, uh, that's a water community. Now we have so many girls who have completed secondary school, who are now working with the county government, who can confess, who are happily married, whom we even take to reduce to tell other girls and challenge them, ask them that, yes, we are not cut and we are happily married, enjoying our marriage. So it's not a big deal not to go through the cut. And um, there are these girls who are my heroes for now. They are fighting the stigma within my community. One of them had, has to be transferred from one school to the other for three times. Thrice. Why? Because of the stigma. Every school she would be taken, girls will call, will call her names. She's now big enough to defend herself. She's now in secondary school. And um, counting on her, I know she's a role model. So um, we have a lot of successes. As Daya Women Group, we are first volunteers. That's our strength. Secondly, we are a number of 20 survivors. Now the number is growing up to that. In fact, now we have registered up to that. But for the first 20 survivors, I have three girls who will, who will never go through the cut. Now the rest also have their own daughters who will never go through the cut. If we multiply, say, for example, an average of two kids each, we already have 40 girls who are not cut. That's already a success within the group itself. Now, when we go outside the, when we go outside now the group, we have our own community. Some of them were not cut. And uh, what what we are looking forward to is we have songs. We use songs actually as an entertainment. We get paid for the songs. Now, when we are paid for the songs, we use that money, some of it to empower. Um, the members and the the other part we use for now community outreach i know one day one time people will come to benchmark in Tana river county that's for sure you know i'm fascinated by um this topic of fgm i am a man so uh, i would not have a first-hand experience on that i also come from a different religion if you talk about that um and also a different geographical location I would like to understand how it works because I understand that there are other communities uh, who practice Islam. Some cut and some don't cut. What's the background like in terms of religion? From Islamic perspective, FGM is not a religious requirement. But many would argue that FGM is a religious requirement. Why? Why? Because for the Somali community, that's my community, um, they feel that FGM is part of the religion. 
And when you ask the religious leaders, there are those who came out strongly and openly, like the former Deputy Chief Qadi, and also uh, the current Deputy Chief Qadi came out strongly and talked about FGM. When I caught the, the former Deputy Chief Qadi, he said, we should not mutilate animals, live alone human beings. That tells you a lot. Now, when you go to women, I have a clip and I shared on Twitter. When we talked about the effects of FGM, the psychological effects, all this, she was talking of the Sunnah. And the Sheikh was asking her, who told you there is Sunnah? Because I didn't talk about Sunnah. You see, that's a mentality that has been saved within their mindsets. Um, the, the community perception is that FGM is a Sunnah. There are hadith that are not authentic that talk about FGM. Hadith are stories. Uh, hadiths are the sayings of the Prophet. But this particular hadith that has been caught severally as to be Sunnah is not authentic. It's very weak, actually. And again, if it were to be used, it talks about male circumcision, not female. And again, if you compare, for example, if you compare what my community does, eh, they do type 3 of FGM, infibulation. The sooner they are talking about is just cutting a little bit of the clitoris, the tip actually. So you can't even compare. There is a huge difference of what they're doing and actually practically what they're doing and what they're saying. Now, when we come to the Sunnah issue, religious leaders have said it openly. FGM is not my religion. It's not a religious requirement. Going back to now um, the cultural bit, FGM is not something that gives you identity. For me, if I don't confess that I was cut, who would know that I was cut actually? FGM is not something that will give you cultural identity. It's something that we should really, really abandon. And I, I think that's, a, that's an important point because I've spoken to other people from other communities and they say, you know, this is part of our culture. But now you're bringing this up and saying, um, you know, you can't, I can't tell whether or not someone is cut. And, you know, culture is a way of life of people and it's mostly expressed uh, in a way that, you know, it's, it's expressed outside, outwardly. And now when you say that, you know, it's not part of the culture because I am not able to see it unless I know that you went through this, then it makes a lot of sense culturally. You grew up bordering a community that doesn't practice FGM, but all of you are from the same religion. How does that work? You know, there is one thing. In Somali, we have something called culture and we have the religion. We have culturalized our religion and at the same point we have taken our cultural aspects to be religious practice you know fgm is simply a, a, a religious is a cultural practice but when you talk of let me tell you an example i just want to bring you to an attention if for example i would someone would argue like fgm is a religious practice blah 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 and all that why is it that even Christians are practicing FGM? It has nothing to do with religion. It cuts, it cuts across. This is an African thing. If you look at FGM, it's a cultural thing. Because every community in Africa, 
practices FGM. In Kenya, it's only four communities who don't practice FGM. The Pokomos, we call them LLPPT. The, yes. So, um, the Tezo, you want me to mention? The Luo, <laughs> the Luya, Luo, Tezo, and Pokomo. That's how they are being named. So, the other communities practice FGM. Now, when you now compare our community and the Muslim part who are not practicing FGM, in Kenya alone, it, when you go to Mombasa, Malindi, even in Lamu, it's my community that's that will be found in Lamu who is practicing FGM. Because it's Orma or Wardei who is practicing FGM in Lamu. Not the Bajunis. They don't practice at all. So, and they are 100% Muslims. You, would ask, you will ask yourself, are we more Muslims? No, we are not. We are, we are all obeying the same God. We all believe in the same God, one God. So, um, for me, I would argue that FGM is, yes, a pure cultural thing. We are just making it to be more fashionable, to look like religion thing, but it's not. Um, again, when the beauty of my community is this, eh? We have been wearing something called guntina. Guntina is like something that looks like a sari. If you have gone to Marsabet or some parts, there are people who still wear them. As we don't wear, we have dropped them. And that just just describe that to someone who someone like me who's who's not have an experience with that sari. When you tie that piece of cloth, eh, your shoulders, your arms will be. Uh, outside they will they won't be covered you see even your hair style will be just out you won't be covering your head now we wear hijab we wear buibuis we cover our body we wear gombis you see all these things why because of the religion we dropped we were told we should not wear the guntinas the that traditional cloth why? Because we were told it's not part of the religion. We were told you, if you are a real Muslim, you should cover your body. That's why we, we say this is now a bad culture. We drop them. If now today I want to portray my culture, I want to showcase my culture, like I want to wear that, if it's a must for me to wear the guntina. Traditionally, you are allowed to wear uh, the guntina and uh, when religion came, of course, which came in later, then you, you, you now, of course, have to cover yourself because that's how a man should dress according to, to the religion, right? Yes, according to religion, you must cover your body. So um, they had to wear that bodysuit first, then tie the cloth. On now, yes, on top. Now, again, cover their heads as well. You see? But if it was previously the way we used to do, for now you would have been seeing me leaving my hair just like that, wearing that just that piece of cloth. So we, are, we dropped everything because of the religion. Religion is superior to culture. And that basically means we should also drop harmful cultures like FGM. We should totally abandon FGM, like we want zero FGM. Um, if I caught one of the religious leaders whom I talked to recently, 
he was dress describing to me how fgm is he told me saadia live alone in fibrillation live alone type 3 of fgm even the simplest form of fgm we talk about the minor cuts we talk about the one you called sunna the one they call sunna or uh, the the cutting of the tip of the clitoris he was telling me even that one equals to castrating the boy child you can imagine how harmful fgm is so why should we have to go for such a horrible act so it's high time we need to educate um, and sensitize our communities let me tell you one thing and that's a real challenge for for sure my community practices fgm for three reasons one we want this girl to remain virgin until marriage and also remain faithful when she's married so that tells you it's a form of controlling the sexual desires of the woman secondly we are doing it as a religious requirement you get it thirdly we are doing it as, as a cultural practice and also for men to accept the girl so we are doing for those three reasons and that's what most people have excuses saying you know that's why we're going to be doing this fgm some just say okay i'm doing this because uh, it is a religious um commandment i'd say and others uh, approach it from a cultural perspective and others say you know um we have to keep you in check uh, so that you can wait for your husband absolutely now uh, you got me right now i want to bring you to attention the three things i've mentioned and when we talk of the religious in perspective the the religious leaders will tell you fgm is not part of it's not a religious requirement and it's not part of islam so that's x number two, we come to the marriageability we still have um, men from my community who are marrying girls who are uncut from within the community or from outside the community because that's also a challenge that I've seen from other communities where you know people say we don't want to our girls will not be able to be married and then someone else marries someone from another community that does not cut girls is it the same case in your community yes actually now you see the women's perception that if the girl is not cut she 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 won't get married is not even there it's also x another x because still men are going outside to marry other girls who are not cut Okay, now two are dropped. The third one will remain and that's why FGM is not ending. When it comes to the religious perspective, we are now engaging the religious leaders, cleaning the mindsets, delinking FGM from religion. Now, uh clearing the community perception on FGM and religion. You see now that that can be achieved. what we will never achieve unless we change the way we 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 brand or we frame our end fgm campaign is when we go to certain community and that one is cross cutting it's not only for my community many communities are doing it to curb the sexual or to control the sexual urge of a woman and when you go uh when you look at the papers from uh, all those sorts of ngos they talk of oh fgm reduces the sexual desires of a woman what are you doing 
you are actually rubber stamping and telling them yes what you believe is actually the truth you can get bonus materials notes and much more at www.kipainoi.com k i p a i n o i.com please remember we all can do something go out and make a difference for we all have a responsibility to make this world a better place goodbye